As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yo, yo, welcome to a post-game edition of the Forum Club. I'm your co-host, Jovan Buha, the Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And tonight, we have a special guest. Jared Tice, uh, sorry, I mean Weiss, uh, joining us <laughs> to wow, discuss. What a great joke to open up. That was show. a great joke, great opener. Um, <laughs> to to discuss the Lakers' ninety six ninety five victory over the Boston Celtics tonight. Uh, Jared, how are you doing? And what was your primary takeaway from this game? Uh, slightly worse after that intro. Um, <laughs> primary takeaway. Trez always comes through when you need him. And Anthony Davis is guardable. And LeBron James is going to LeBron James. I thought it was uh, honestly a, a kind of mediocre game from the Lakers. And the Lakers are so good that they can have a mediocre game against a team playing pretty close to its best and still win. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I did a, a preview because the Lakers are on a seven-game road trip. This was the sixth game. And... It, for each game of the road trip, I, I did a different question and, and kind of something I was interested in with that game. And, and for this one, it was how does Boston match up with AD? Because I, I think last year across the two games, he averaged something like 33 points or, or something like that against them. And I was just curious, you know, they got Tristan Thompson who, you know, only played 15 minutes and, uh, you know, they, they kind of have that three center rotation role that they're splitting there. But um, I was just like, you know, do they match up better with him? And to me, yeah. the answer was no. Um, like I, I thought, I thought Tice had a really good game. I, I've never seen him have a bad game. And, and that's, what's funny is like every time I, I feel like I see him play, he's always like balling out and I have a really high opinion of him. But I mean, 80 at 27 and 14, and it easily could have been, 30 something, you know, had the Lakers kind of gone to him a little bit more down the stretch in the fourth. Um, and, you know, he had six offensive rebounds. He was huge on the glass. Uh, so I think in this matchup in particular, if you, if you look at some of the teams that the Lakers might match up with in the finals, if they get there, uh, I do think the Boston matchup is probably the most favorable uh, in terms of, you know, AD having a successful series. Now, I guess Brooklyn maybe. Uh, because, you know, it was like going to be DeAndre Jordan. Like, I, I don't know who's going to be guarding him, but um, KD, looking probably. at like, yeah, or KD, but looking at like 
you know, versus Milwaukee, who has Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez or uh, Philly, who has Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Like, I, I think this is probably the, the most favorable matchup of the East contenders. And I think that played out tonight. So I do agree with that, but I actually disagree with your read on how the game went because I just filed my story to theathletic.com, by the way, people, that I thought the Celtics did a very good job on AD. Now, that's based on the Celtics standards and the way the Celtics have been playing this year, which has been crap and um, was especially <laughs> bad coming into this game. Like, they were literally saying, like, our defense is garbage coming into this game. Like, this game, we have to prove that we can play D. And what I thought they did really well on AD was they started the game with Tatum covering him in the post, which is shocking considering Jason Tatum weighed like three or uh, 30 pounds, like even two years ago. And now Tatum can somehow guard Anthony Davis. That's kind of crazy. But what they would do is they would stick with one-on-one coverage on the block on AD. And then whatever wing was responsible for guarding the Lakers shooter that was at the top of the key or on the weak side elbow, that person would just slide all the way down to the free throw line and quickly either dig in at AD when he's trying to turn and make his drop set move or would even contest on the shot and they would have a double contest, which most teams don't do. So the Celtics, they're very, they're just about the best team in the league when it comes to rotating over and doubling on on, uh, on really good uh, mid-post and high-post scores and obviously low-post scores because they've always had to do that because they they've always been undersized at the five. And I thought it went really well tonight, and AD went 11 for 25. He didn't shoot well. Um, and a lot of his buckets came on collecting offensive uh, rebounds, and most of the shots that he hit were contested. The only shot that yeah. he hit that wasn't contested was – he had a corner three in the first half where Dennis Schroeder upfaked Kemba Walker halfway to uh, halfway to L.A. And um, Marcus Smart had to rotate off of A.D. in the corner to stop that drive. And A.D. hit the open three. But A.D., the shots that he did, I mean, he also missed some open looks, so it kind of evened out. But he had to really fight to get the buckets that he did get. Yeah, I mean, he, he had two or three fadeaways that were just ridiculous and, and are a shot that, you He's know, the only I, I guess. Yeah, like him and maybe Kevin Durant. Um, I mean, I think that's a fair that's a fair point. I I hadn't seen the field goal number until you started making the counterpoint. Um, I haven't dug into the film yet. I'm doing five observations off of this game, and one of them was going to be AD's performance. Um, you know, I, I will say I thought you know you mentioned the doubling against AD. I thought the doubling against LeBron was really effective. Like this to me was probably LeBron's worst offensive game of the season. Uh, you know, when you look at the just 21 points, just seven assists, and then also five turnovers, including that turnover down the stretch, where he just basically dribbled it out of bounds and lost control. Like, I thought they just did a, a brilliant job at, you know, I mean, doubling LeBron in, in the pick and roll, doubling him on drives, um, you know, trapping him. Like they, they were just very active defensively and, and really forced the ball out of his hands. And this was not a good shooting performance for the Lakers, um, you know, 44% overall, but nine of 31 on threes. And I, I would be interested in, in digging through the, uh, you know, the NBA.com stats box score and, and seeing how many of those were, were uncontested because I, I feel like they missed a lot of good looks uh, that they have been making recently and, and had that, you know, had some of those gone down, you know, maybe this is a different game where, um, you know, they're, they're closer to that like 105, 110 range and, and maybe it's like a 15 point win. So 
Um, I think like definitely Boston from a, a wing guard perspective is, you know, so good defensively that I, I know the numbers haven't been the same as, as in years past, but I thought they did a brilliant job against LeBron. Yeah. I mean, well, this was the game. This was the best defensive performance that the Celtics have had since very early in the season. So, you know, they, this was them defending how they usually defend. And what I liked about what they did against LeBron was that whenever LeBron would come around the screen, they would switch the they would switch up high so that they cut off his dribble around the perimeter and then they would have another defender step up to the free throw line so that if LeBron wanted to try to spin and kind of, you know, reverse course, which he usually he just makes that little crossover spin move and then he's able to get into the paint draw foul. But they were cutting off that lane early, and so that was kind of forcing him to reset and then you know try to get a little tricky throwing some pocket passes and we saw him get a couple turnovers the, uh, just from that so they were pretty they were pretty creative with the way that they mixed things up but this felt more like lebron just was low energy and just he looked like he was at the end of a seven game uh road trip he didn't look like he was at the start of it so this seemed more of a, just an anomalous lebron just didn't quite have it in this game kind of night and then, of course, don't forget, he still had those shots at the end. I mean, like, he's still going to yeah. do that. Like, it doesn't really matter if I'm ice cold. I'm feeling it right now, so I'm just going to pull up. I, I Didn't he have one possession where I think he had Tice on the left elbow and he dribbled out the entire 24-second shot clock and then hit the shot anyway? Yeah, he was just dancing with Tice and, and yeah. then uh, threw up and that Tice three. was in position. Like, he contested the shot fine. It's just it's LeBron. Yeah, and uh, it, it was... It was a weird game. Um, you know, it's funny because he just said post game after the Detroit game, I, I don't get tired. I, I never get tired. And then it did look like he, he was a little out of gas tonight. But we were almost nine minutes into this show and we have not talked about Alex Caruso yet. Um, so I don't know if you saw the end of the Philly game, uh, uh, you know, a few days ago, but this was eerily similar to the Philly game in that. Um, the, the Lakers run this, uh, kind of, you know, three man, uh, sort of like a, I guess, uh, a pistol action sort of where they had AD in the corner. Um, LeBron's at the, the elbow or a, a little bit higher. And, uh, Dennis Schroeder goes and, and screens for AD in the left corner and against the, the Sixers, that was him screening against Embiid. AD gets the step on Embiid, you know, cuts to the basket, gets a lay-in. And then, of course, Tobias Harris, uh, you know, ends up getting the switch on Caruso and, and hits the jumper over him. In this instance, uh, Kemba Walker does a really good job of tagging AD. Uh, I believe it's Kemba. I'm, I'm re-watching the play right now. Uh, does a, a really good job. Yeah, it's, it's Kemba um, uh, of just kind of bumping AD as he's going for the post-up. And if, if Kemba doesn't do that, AD potentially gets a layup or, or gets really good post position uh, w- w- with the shot clock going down. So I thought that was a, a really good move from Kemba. AD ends up getting the ball, kicks it back out to LeBron, repositions, gets the ball back, then goes up for that jumper, which Kemba, uh, I believe, was it Kemba or Jalen Brown uh, strips him? I'm watching it all now. That was, uh, it, was Kemba. Kemba. it was Kemba. It was Kemba, but back to back defensive plays on on the same possession um you know this is great podcasting here and and then ac just gets back 
into the play and, and kind of tips it and, and bats it away. And uh, had he not done that, I think Jalen Brown gets a dunk or, or maybe gets a foul from behind and, uh, you know, makes a couple free throws to, to ice the game. So, um, you know, Kemba ended up getting a good look. Tice gets the, the, the tip in that, that rattles out, which I think could have arguably been a foul. Uh, but, you know, AC, that, that play is not going to show up in the box score. It's not going to show up on the play-by-play. Uh, you know, it's it's not a steal, it's not a block, uh, but it's not even a contested shot. But you know that play. You know, the Lakers talked about it post game. Like that really was the the game defining play. And I, I know you gave him a shout out on Twitter, but uh, what did you make of that final sequence and, and and that play from him? Yeah, I mean, I'm a longtime Crusoe stand. I, I was there for the summer league games when he was just going off, and I, I was I'm so happy that he is where he is right now. Um, but so. What I love about him that he showed on this play is the guy, his his anticipation to be on the right spots of the floor is so good. And that's a huge part of why he's gotten to where he is. Where on that play, you see right when Walker goes in to dig on AD, you see Caruso start to take a step towards you know kind of higher up the court. And then once he sees a strip, he sees Jalen Brown's about to take off and he starts sprinting at the exact same second that Jalen does. It wasn't like he was reacting to Jalen Brown as much as he just knew that Jalen Brown was about to take off and he had to start sprinting. And he managed to outrun like one of the biggest athletes in the NBA. And, you know, Kemba threw a mediocre uh, pass. He probably should have thrown a bounce pass towards uh, Jalen's right hip instead of out ahead of him. Uh, but maybe he didn't see Caruso because Caruso is kind of streaking from behind and we can see him because we have that camera angle. But, I mean, the fact that Caruso was able to get out ahead of him to be able to get a hand in there and deflect the pass. And what I love is that when he gets the deflection, he doesn't like swipe. He just sticks his hand out and kind of gets wide like a cornerback and just sticks his hand in there and deflects the pass without committing pass interference. It's like it's textbook coverage. You might be playing the wrong sport for all we know. Maybe you should be in the NFL. The thing and, and you know, I, I know I'm a, a little late to the Caruso party and, and you know, starting covering the, the, the team this season. But um, the thing that impresses me so much with him is, is he has amazing posture and, and, and body control. Like he, he's always upright. Um, and, and when I say upright, not like literally upright, but, but just like he's, his back is always straight. And the way he closes out, um, it's like he, he knows that he knows when guys are going to try to draw a foul and he just has amazing control with, you know, he closes out perfectly. Um, you know, he, he stops a couple of inches right in front of the guy and then is, you know, chest square, uh, ready to contest or, or ready to, um, you know, slide his feet if they're going to put the ball on the floor. And, uh, you know, he, he just does these things defensively that you really don't see even the best defenders do. Like like his technique is is both unique and, and just very effective. And I, I think, um, you know, like, he, he's he should be. I mean, I, I have a story coming out with uh, with Seth Part now, you know, bouncing around some different Laker topics. And one thing I don't want to spoil the, the Caruso part of it, but you know, I, I do ask him about a guy like Caruso potentially playing more, and, and you know, we get into what that would look like, or, or you know, are there any diminishing returns with that? But I think it's worth exploring because uh, t- to me, he's their best bench player, and uh, again, it rarely shows up in, in the box score. He's not a guy who's going to get you 15, 20 points. Like, you know, that that's like a career night for him. But 
he is a guy who, who's going to, I mean, again, you look at the plus minus and, um, you know, single game plus minus can be overrated, but when you're leading the team in, in plus minus every game, I, I think that starts to add up and, and starts to matter. So, um, you know, he was plus 14 tonight. Uh, the, the, the bench unit that, that Frank Vogel tried out was plus 13. Uh, AC and LeBron were, were plus 16 together in 17 minutes. So Alex Crusoe, good things happen when he's on the floor. And I, I think, you know, it's a question I get every game. Like, why isn't he playing more? And I, I don't have a great answer, but I, I think he should easily be playing 20 minutes every night, if not more than that. Uh, but let, he's like your new Zubots, basically. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can switch beats, but there's always going to be a white guy that's not getting enough minutes. Except he he closes games, though. You know, like I, I think it's more the first three quarters. Uh, he, he's part of the closing lineup, um, but that, that that's a, a topic for a different day. Let's get into the open forum, which is our post-game Q&A. Uh, Jared, th- this is your first time. So uh, I will give you the first question uh, from yourself. <laughs> Why male models? <laughs> what do you mean why? Can, can you models? answer your Can you answer your own question? What, what do you mean why male models? I just explained it. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't remember the whole line. Okay, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have the entire script of Zoolander memorized, then it's not going to work. All right. Next question. Next question. Uh, okay. Um, great, great question, by the way. So, Anakit Mohan at under or Anakit underscore Mohan twenty four frequent uh, questioner on this podcast. Wes and Keefe didn't get any minutes today. Theme going forward, or should we expect Vogel to keep switching his rotations for a couple more months? Uh, I I will start with this one. Uh, I think this tonight was a game that the Lakers kind of had to win. And as Jared said, it didn't always look like that, you know, especially with a guy like LeBron, not always getting back defensively. Um, but but there were there were some disappointing stretches fr- from an effort perspective. But the Lakers were coming off of back to back losses, and I, I think after starting the, you know the, their road trips ten and zero overall, and, and starting this road trip three and zero, losing three straight games on the road with, with two of them being two contending level teams in the Sixers and Celtics would have been very deflating for the Lakers. Um, you know they've basically been the one seed all season until the past couple of games. Uh, so they, they would have been tumbling down the standings. And I, I think it just would have been, there would have been a lot of overreactions to this game had the Lakers lost. So I, I do think that, you know, the way Vogel approached this game was clearly, we're going with our best nine guys. And, you know, Wes, Keith, you guys have struggled. You, you've been up and down this season. You guys are both veterans uh, on the downside of your career. And we're going to roll with our, our, our top nine players. And, and that's what he did. And it worked. Like I said, uh, you know, the, the bench unit, which is the four bench guys plus LeBron, was plus 13 in 10 minutes. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, AC was really good. Trez gave some good minutes. Um, you know, I ended up closing the game. Uh, I thought Kuz was good in, in his minutes. THT ha- had some plays offensively. So, like, I, I thought overall it was one of the better bench games from the Lakers. And part of that was just kind of streamlining the rotation and, and going with, you know, like, like Vogel has talked about how difficult it's been to play 11 guys and find rhythms for, for those guys. And it's like, you know, a guy might be having a good game, but you need to find 15 minutes for someone else in the rotation. So that guy gets subbed out, even if he's made a couple shots in a row. And, you know, it's just hard for these guys to kind of get into a rhythm. So I, I do think the Lakers will probably go back to at least a 10 man rotation uh, for the most part. But I, I do think, you know, in, in the games that matter most, 
but you know, against a Celtics, a Sixers, a Clippers, like you will see the nine man rotation. Um, and, and Wes and Keith will probably be on the outside looking in, but, um, do you have any thoughts on the rotation or, or did it surprise you that those yeah. guys didn't play? No, not at all because, you know, they, like, so Tre- Trez played 30, which is a lot. So yeah, they high. didn't need to, they didn't, they didn't need to split up that, that big rotation there. So they, this was basically a playoff game. The Celtics played with a nine and a half man rotation. The, you know, the Celtics, they didn't even, did, they did not even play Grant Williams, who's kind of their equivalent to Mark D. Morris very similar style of player. Cause I think just that that stretch four wasn't really needed in this game. Trez, the way that he was playing, especially the threat that he is down in the dunker spot behind the backboard, that was really what you needed out of your second big to go along with AD. And of course, Marcus Soltz going to get his minutes early on. And then they're going to realize it's a mistake because he's completely washed and he's going to stop playing. So that's how Vogel managed the minutes. And then as far as West is concerned, I mean, Schroeder's defense has been so good that he's taking away that role that you would have West play where, like, you could put West in there so you could have him cover Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart. Uh, but Schroeder did a phenomenal job in that point of attack role. And then I thought Horton Tucker and Caruso were doing a really nice job guarding Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum, even though those guys obviously have pretty huge games. But, like, those guys have been, you know, they're two of the top scorers in the NBA this year. So it's not, you know, this is not huge anomaly but so i would have i'd rather have caruso out there than west matthews out there almost every single night and i thought he made the right call with the rotation yeah i mean uh, tht had had been the the guy on the outskirts where you know if, if you look at the minutes distribution this year he's basically the 11th guy he, he's had a, a few dnps recently um and and just as a second year guy who only played in seven games last season um you know he, he's kind of had to earn every minute but I, I thought, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like what Wes has Screw been that. Like he's better than Wes. Wes is old. He's washed. Like he's, he's good. He's going to be good for some stuff, especially when there is a really tricky defensive assignment. You need a really smart, savvy guard to be able to handle a really good wing. Like that's where he makes sense. But overall, like Horton, he's better in transition. He can attack the rim. He's doing a nice job crashing the glass and making cuts. He's doing all sorts of the, all the in-between stuff that Wes is probably not going to be giving you at nearly as high of a level. Yeah, he had a really nice drive on Tatum where he, he just lowered his shoulder and, yeah. and cleared him out and, and scored over him. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, let's get into a couple more here. Uh, oof. What's happening with Marcus Soul? This is from at CanHSB. Um this is not a, a good matchup for Marcus Gasol. Uh, I've I've talked about this ad nauseum this season uh, against teams that play basically a five out style of play, um, and you know the Celtics. It, it depends who's on the floor, but you know Tice went two for three from three tonight. He is capable of, of stretching the floor, and even if he's not always spaced behind the three point line, he can stretch out you know sixteen, eighteen, twenty feet. Uh, so when when Mark is matched up against a team or rather against an offense like that, um, 
it, it does kind of compromise him. And, you know, he, he's a guy who needs to be in drop coverage, uh, you know, needs to be closer to the paint and, you know, occasionally can step out and, and maybe dance with a guy for a little bit. But if you're running him around and putting him, you know, where he has to de- defend a Tatum or a Brown on the perimeter or, um, you know, kind of just navigate screens or anything like that or close. I mean, a lot of times it's just teams are putting him in situations where he has to like rotate and help and then go close out to his man who's spaced beyond the three point line. Like those situations are very difficult for Marcus soul. So I, I think heading into this game, I didn't think this was going to be a mark game. It was not a mark game. Um, he, he did miss a couple looks from three that I thought he should have hit at least one of those. Um, and you know, I, he, he actually, I, I thought, had a block on Tatum. Uh, I, I believe it was Tatum that, for whatever reason, he wasn't credited for, uh, but he, he tipped a shot. But anyway, like I, I think Mark, like it's not going to be his night every night, and, and this was certainly not a good matchup for him. Um, like I, I've, I've called the Celtics basically Clippers East, uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, for, for for a variety of reasons, and I, I think that's a good, that's you a good know, like Mark was not good against the Clippers either. So, uh, you know, I didn't think he was horrible tonight, but I, I do think he was exposed a little bit as a help guy um, on the offensive glass at times. And yeah, I mean, I, I think if these two teams were, were matched up, he either would be the token starter playing, you know, 12 minutes or he might just get benched altogether. Yeah. I mean, last year in the conference finals, the Celtics destroyed him. It was it was really bad, which was funny because Abaco was incredible in that series. So I thought it was funny how those uh, those guys ended up going to both the L.A. But uh, you saw early in the game, the Celtics were targeting Gasol. They had uh, their first offensive play, Tatum. He drives baseline. Gasol gets into position to stop the front rim, but Tatum just takes another dribble and goes for the reverse. Then they have Tice out by the, uh, like, I think all the way out by the elbow, essentially, uh, drawing Gasol all the way out there. And then they run a split action out of the corner to get Jalen Brown cutting to the rim, and he's able to score. You know, Gasol did a nice job of reading it, but Gasol just kind of read it, got into position, put his hands up. But he's not really actively contesting shots in the way that he used to. Because, I mean, the dude was like about to retire basically before he joined the Lakers. He's he's at the end of the road, and he's one of the smartest defenders of the generation. He's one of my favorite players of the generation, but he just. He's super sluggish at this point. He's not shooting that well at this point. So I think the Lakers fans just probably have to expect him to be a little bit limited on what they're going to get out of him. But he's going to bring some very important stuff, which is that at most teams that don't have a five-out center who's pulling him out of the lane, he's going to be great because he's able to play in the lane. And then he's able to he's able to run a lot of triangle action, a lot of high-low action. Um, so he can really get the most out of playing next to AD and LeBron offensively too. So I'm excited to see what they do as we get further in the year. And like we have to remember, like these guys didn't have a training camp. Uh, you know, these guys haven't had many practices. It's going to take a while for them to figure out how to really properly utilize Gasol. So I think he's just kind of slowly walking the race, trying to get ready for the playoffs the entire season, basically. And, and he's had good games defensively. Uh, again, I, I think most of those have come against lesser teams who who don't have a center scoring threat or, or a center who can space the floor. But I mean, he, he's had multiple games where he's had, you know, two, three, four blocks. Um, he's actually averaging more blocks than Dwight Howard did 
last year and, and the same as JaVale McGee. And blocks aren't everything, you know, but it, it is just, you know, there's kind of been this notion that he can't protect the rim, that he's still not a good defender. Um, and I, I think he, he's just a very situational defender. What, what you know, when he can kind of read an offense and, and see where the ball is going and, and rotate in time, he's a very good positional defender and he can block and contest shots. But uh, when there's a lot of motion and it's kind of some improvisation or, or him having to make quick movements against a guard or a wing, he's not as good. Uh, or, or again, rotating out to a sh- you know a shooting five. So I, I think it's it, you know there's going to be matchups where Mark just looks horrible, but there's also been some matchups where he's looked really good. So uh, again, I think he might be the most situational player in the rotation. Um, you know, w- w- just kind of where he's at in his career. Uh, a couple more. I'll, I'll oh, just say ahead. quickly, like one, one thing that he does really well that you just didn't get to see a lot of tonight is when he's defending a pick and roll and drop coverage against a team that likes to send the hard roller down. Um, he's really great at that. He's able to still he'll backpedal with both of his arms out wide. And he's got like what, like a seven, five, seven, six wingspan. So he'll be able to backpedal and defend that whole action himself. Most teams have to rotate a third guy over he's able to keep the defense spread apart. So that's where he's really valuable. He can really help your defense stay home and stay out against shooters because he can handle most of the pick and roll action himself. I think Mark's been, you know, it's kind of, it's one and the same where I'm always getting a question about the rim protection, the center position, Mark. Like, I I think he's been better than than fans give him credit for. Like, he's just one of those guys where when he makes a defensive mistake or he gets scored over, it's always very glaring, so it, it kind of looks worse than it is when you, you might see a guy like Trez, who um, I, I think gets targeted as well defensively. But you know, s- some of his mistakes might not be as egregious, although some of them are as well. So I, I get why there's some concern over the center position, but I, I think if you look at the, I mean, Celtics maybe aren't the best example because I think they have multiple looks they can go to at the five, but. Overall, like the Celtics bigs aren't amazing. Like it's not a Jokic, it's not an Embiid, it's not a Gobert, but they're just solid. And I, I think I think the Lakers bigs are, are probably a, a step below that overall. And, and by bigs, I'm, I'm saying Gasol and Trez, obviously not AD. Uh, yeah, but, so but, but then you could go to AD at the five w- when you want to. So, I mean, that, that, that's their ace in the hole. A uh, cu- couple more questions quickly. Speaking of Trez's defense, this is from DT1633. What are your thoughts on Trez's defense so far? And do you think Vogel has done a better job than the Clippers did to hide his weaknesses on that side? Um, yes and no. I, I do think Trez has been targeted. Um, you know, the, the example I always use is the Portland game where I'm, I'm guessing you didn't see that, Jared. But, uh, you know, Blazers just basically ran a bunch of high pick and roll with, with Dame and Nurkic. And for some reason, the Lakers didn't switch Trez and AD where Trez was defending the actions and either, you know, Nurkic was slipping the screens and getting past him and then going to four on three actions or Dame was just, you know, getting open shots because Trez was kind of in no man's land defensively. Uh, so I, I felt that the, the Lakers should have just put Trez on Robert Covington, put him in the corner. And if they want to involve Covington in the screening action, go for it. But I'd rather have Covington do that than Nurkic. Who, who's you know obviously ran thousands of, of screening actions with, with, with Dame. Um, so 
you know, it's something Vogel's talked about that I, I think the Lakers will eventually adjust. But Trez has been targeted in the pick and roll. Uh, that said, I, I do think one thing Vogel has done that has been better than what the Clippers did is he doesn't always have him in such a deep drop. I, I think when you put Trez in a deep drop, you are asking him to, uh, you know, protect the rim or, or, you know, make, I think, certain decisions that aren't necessarily his strength. Uh, but what Vogel has done is he's had him switch at times. He, he's had him play um, up to the point of touch. And, you know, I, I think that is a, a better way to use Trez because one of Trez's advantages defensively is his his foot speed and his athleticism. Like uh, he, he has long arms, he has quick feet. And, you know, I, I think that's where, um, you know, if he's stopping penetration at the point of the screen, that's where he could be a little bit more effective. But when you basically have him, you know, having a guy charging at him and he has to make a decision, that's not his strength defensively. So I do think the Lakers, they've done both. You know, they have had him in deep drops. It depends on the personnel who they're playing. But I do think Vogel has unlocked a little bit more of Trez's foot speed, which is his advantage defensively. Yeah, there. I mean, there were a few plays in the, that like late first quarter, early second quarter stint where he was defending up to touch. And what I like about that is that that literally gives him a guide on where to go because when he gets to defend up to touch on the screen, he just grabs the screener and then just like holds on to him and just rides him all the way down <laughs> the lane. Like it's, it's like, it's like, it's like being on the bunny slopes for him basically. And it makes it so easy because it's weird. Trez is just so bad protected at a judging space under the rim he just Mm -hmm. always he always misjudges how to protect the rim but you're right he does move his feet really nicely and he's he's the kind of guy that can take contact to the chest and be able to disrupt the ball handler without you know using his hands to commit a foul so you know i i like that i mean they can still we still saw like jeff t try to attack him in isolation a couple times and pretty much turned him around although jeff t doesn't remember how to shoot anymore, so he missed the shot anyway. But I, I just think that the more that they're able to keep Trez moving and make it that he's moving along with the bodies instead of trying to figure out how to you know sync up the gap to meet with the lane, that's you know it's like have a move with the flow of the play rather than against the flow of the play because that's where he's going to get cut off. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree with you. Um, uh, I guess we'll we'll close. What one quick question? This is from at Nick CN underscore. What are the chances the lineup of Met is officially over? Seems like Vogel has done a lot of experiment, uh, experimenting, trying to get some different bench combos as of late, and they were good tonight. I don't think it's over I, because he had already talked about how bad it is. And, and for reference, the lineup of Met is Trez, Markeef, Kuzma, Wes, and LeBron. Basically, four <laughs> non-ball handlers plus LeBron. Uh, the, the lineup has been atrocious. It, it's been the, the Lakers' worst high-usage lineup. And I don't know if it's officially retired, but I do think you'll see it less in games that matter, if, if not not at all. I mean, two of those five guys were completely out of the rotation tonight. So um, I, I do think we have a clearer picture of who Vogel trusts, who he will rely on in, in games that really matter. And and it's not Wes and, and, and Keefe, apparently. So um, I, again, I, I don't want to say we're never going to see it again, but I, I do feel more confident that Vogel knows he shouldn't use that lineup. Uh, and then last one, we'll get out on this. Um, Aaron Labhan, 
uh, at Barnes 12. Does this team need a wing defender? Brown and Tatum had their way against smaller defenders. Makes me worry about Kawhi and PG, et cetera. So I will toss this to you, Jared, because you've watched every minute, every second, every possession of Tatum and Brown this year, uh, or at least I, I think you have. Um, both of their lives and- <laughs> at this point. Uh, and, you know, how much of what, because they were both efficient. Tatum was 12 of 18. Brown was 13 of 19. I know overall that they're pretty efficient shot makers, but, you know, both of those are well over 50%. Um, how much of tonight was like hot shooting? How much of tonight is just them oh, doing no, what they do? All. And then how much of it was like, oh, this is like a really bad matchup problem and they're just exploiting the, the crap out of the Lakers defense. No, this this is that they're just at that level now. You know, they're they're almost as good as Kawhi and PG at this point. And um, the, this was just a this is a pretty average game for them because they didn't really tear up the interior the way that they usually do. Uh, Brown was able to uh, get a few cuts and transition drives through the paint. But like th- those guys, they'd have some nights where they're also getting like double digit free throw attempts. There were honestly just like weren't a lot of fouls in this game. But so I think that's a very clear encapsulation of the type of elite wing play that the, the Lakers are basically is their weakness that could take them down in the playoffs. Uh, and there's a team that shares the arena with them that is well equipped to do it. Uh, and there's a reason why most teams in the NBA have been trying to build that way. They've been trying to build with two way wings because they're really hard to guard. There's like no perfect way to guard those guys. And so, yeah, it's like very clear that that's the one thing that's clearly missing from this team. If you have a whole night of Schroeder just baby rondoing it and just like staring up, you know, underneath those guys, getting right under them so they can't dribble the ball, that definitely disrupts them from their game, but they can figure it out eventually. But we saw like, you know, KCP's good. I do think THT probably in a couple years will end up being a good wing defender and maybe can step into that mantle. And then Wes Matthews, you know, has traditionally been a pretty solid point of attack defender against most wings. But LeBron's the only guy on this team that I think could like really, really have a chance at shutting one of those guys down. And we don't really think of LeBron as a one-on-one point of attack defender too much these days. Yeah, I, I, I think so you said Kuzma that. was absent from that list, and that, that was for a reason. And that very disappointing reason. You said some some good points there where, you know, I, I think when, when people ask me, does this team need another center? Is that kind of the final move here? Um, I, I think a third center, just to have a third center w- would be nice from an insurance perspective, right? Because if Marcus Sol or Montrez Harrell goes out w- with an injury or a, a COVID absence, like this team is officially down to that other center plus AD. And, and that's not necessarily, I think, a place you want to be in, um, you know, especially if it was like a long-term injury. Uh, so from that perspective, I, I think there is value in just adding a third, you know, body that that is capable of playing center. But if it comes down to just adding one more guy, I think another wing is, is what I would add. And, and specifically a, a wing with some size. I, I want a guy who's at least 6'6", but probably like 6'7", or 6'8". Um, you know, one name that comes to mind that could potentially be out there at some point is Trevor Ariza, uh, you know, and, and he obviously has Laker ties. But, uh, you know, like I, I think another wing defender that you feel comfortable and, it, you know, it, it could kind of be a role where he's not always playing. But if you need, um, you know, 8, 10, 12 minutes uh, of good wing defense 
or, or just some fouls and, and just the kind of play aggressive. Like you, you throw this guy out there ahead of a Wes Matthews, ahead of Kuz, um, ahead of THT. Like I think finding an upgrade over that spot uh, from a, at least a defensive perspective it is something that this team could do. Otherwise, like I, I think they're fine. I mean, they, they can, they can play big, they can play small. Uh, you know, they're, they're fat. I mean, I mean, I don't have to tell you on the Lakers, but I just think, you know, if there is a weakness or, or something that they can improve on, it is the perimeter defense, especially at, at the three spot. Um, you know, Le- Le- LeBron can do it, but it, it takes a lot out of him. And I think that's something we're just gonna have to wait to see until the postseason. Uh, but, but aside from that, you know, the, the defense from Kuz, I, I thought KCP had a really bad game tonight. Um, you know, Wes didn't even play like THT is a second year guy. Like, I just think the, the, the reliableness from the perimeter wing defense can be a little shaky on this team. And, you know, maybe it's fine because they have AD, they have LeBron and, and, you know, those guys are just so good that it might not matter, but I do think that's like the one thing that this team could probably improve upon. Yeah. And I, I like Ariza. I mean, I, is he, I forget, is he even currently playing? For the Thunder, I don't think he's even really getting. No, I don't. Game, I don't so. think so. so. He seems like a guaranteed buyout guy, and I assume he'll still be able to defend pretty competently. Um, so that should work. And I wonder if George Hill will become available. George Hill would be a, an amazing fit for this team. Um, you know, maybe you know, kind of give them everything that they're looking for and all their different point guards into one package. That's a little bit better than Caruso. A little bit better than. Wes Matthews, who yeah, I know is not quite a point guard. But yeah, I mean, Ariza seems like the most likely win guy. I mean, I'm curious to see if there's teams that, because we have the playing tournament now, I'm wondering if teams that are kind of looking outside in on the playoffs are going to be willing to sell on guys like Ariza and other potential 3 and D guys or teams are going to kind of hold down the fort because they have a chance at the playing tournament. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the buyout market plays out this year. But we know... Once the buyout market is in action, we know the Lakers are going to get somebody. Like it's it's a it's got to be a guarantee, especially because the Lakers are carrying a few different players that you know just aren't really worth. Like like uh, Quinn Cook is on the roster still, right? So I feel like Quinn Cook is going to get waived at some point for somebody else. It's interesting because they have, uh, you know, and, and this is probably worth its own podcast, but. They have three guys at the end of the roster in in Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, and Alfonso McKinney um, that you just don't really feel great about throwing into a playoff game. Uh, now, I will say, I, I feel like, I think Jared, this is going to be crazy, but I feel like Jared Dudley is untouchable. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think like he, he just means so much to that locker room and, and he's such a, such a chemistry guy that... Um, you know, he, he's a, he's an important fixture in that locker room. So I, I don't, I don't see them waving him. I think it would probably come down to Quinn Cook versus Alfonso McKinney. Uh, and on paper, I'd probably rather have Alfonso McKinney, but Quinn Cook was on last year's team. He's another guy who, like, they almost have two chemistry guys in Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, like guys who are friends with LeBron and AD, get along with them well. They're the hype guys. Um, now I think you can't just have you can't just fill out the back end of your roster with with those types of guys because especially during this season we don't know when COVID is going to strike. You know the Lakers have been very fortunate; no games postponed. Only Alex Caruso has, has been affected, and, and he was a close contact situation. So like right now they haven't had to rely on their like back end back end depth, but 
if they get multiple guys out, but but it's not a situation where they're postponed, like now you're throwing Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, uh, you know, Alfonso McKinney into situations where you have to rely on them to win games. And I don't feel great about that. So I do think the fall guys probably McKinney. It's interesting because he he was playing a, a couple of years ago, right? Like he was he wasn't like good, but he was like a, a decent rotation player. Um, so you know, theoretically, there's like some untapped upside that you, you just kind of got to rekindle with him. Um, but he to me is probably the the, the candidate to cut. Um, I would probably I agree with you. I think I'd probably cut Quinn Cook and, and just keep McKinney as just another wing that. Hey, if you really need to play him, like here's another wing, because uh, I, I think wings are the most valuable position in the league right now. But I, I think it is probably going to be McKinney and, and Cook and Dudley will, will stay on the roster. You know, one player to keep an eye on who I think is a really interesting player and is still young enough that there could be something. And contractually, I think it could he could be available is uh, Kenrich Williams, Kenny Hustle, who was part of that mega trade and ended up going from New Orleans to Oklahoma. He's kind of like a big but athletic six six wing. He kind of is like a kind of he's kind of a tweener. He's more he's more similar to Marcus Morris than he is Markeith Morris. But I really like his defensive capability, the way that he moves, the power that he has. He could be a nice fit as a defensive specialist for them. And he signed this weird contract where he signed like a three year deal on the sign and trade, but the last two years are not guaranteed, I believe. So. It, you know, it's possible that he ends up getting moved and you could just get him for like a second round pick or something like that. So I, I like him as a, as a really kind of cheap option because, you know, people hang on to names like Trevor Ariza and stuff like that. And I'm sure Trevor Ariza probably is still pretty solid and, you know, can at least hit a shot and then defend at a capable level. But people kind of don't realize like a lot of these guys, they turn 33 and they're just not good anymore. They just like can't move anymore. And, you know, you can fall off pretty quickly. And so sometimes you have to go for these guys that you don't really know, like Kenrich Williams, who I'm sure one out of every eight of our listeners right now, even though we're talking about. But he's, I like him. I think he's a, fu- he's a fun player to watch, most importantly. So I think people would enjoy him. Well, we've dug into the minutia here well enough. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, wherever Yovan is, I'm usually somewhere pretty close by. That's accurate. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jared Weiss, MBA. I cover the Celtics for The Athletic, and I host the Daily Ding podcast on the same podcast network. So you can hear me there on Monday and Friday mornings. Yeah, Monday and Friday mornings. Jared's one of the good Celtics people. For, for <laughs> uh, are, I'm the only one. They're all they're all terrible people. <laughs> uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. It's at J O V A N B U H A. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back after the Hawks game on Monday. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.